Heavenly Father, it is so good to gather on this Father's Day to celebrate you, our perfect Father, and the work that you've done to rescue and redeem us uh, from sin and from death. And so we gather to say thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the salvation that you offer through your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning as we open your word that you would open our hearts and our eyes and our ears that we might behold the truth of your Son, Jesus, on the pages of of this book and, and that we might surrender to him anew today. So I pray for those here who don't know you. They, they haven't answered that question of eternity yet. I pray you'd strengthen me to make the gospel very clear and that you'd grant us humility to respond in simple obedience to you this morning. I pray this so that you might be glorified and more people might come and be welcomed into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, welcome to Hillside. Uh, Looks like we still have people coming in, but it doesn't look like we can do a lot of scooting in. But if you can scoot in and maybe make a couple of seats for people, that'd be great. Uh, I'm ranging in between hot and cold. Anybody hot? Raise your hand. Anybody cold? Raise your hand. All right, 50-50 split. It's probably just menopause coming up on 50. It's so bizarre, and I apologize. I'll be taking my jacket off and on, off and on. It's age, and it is what it is. Welcome to Hillside Fellowship. If you've never been here before, we are so glad that you're here. I want you to walk away with a very simple truth that Jesus changes everything. And as we open up the scriptures, I want to point out Jesus to you, and my hope is that you would submit yourself to him just today to say, Lord Jesus, I, I'm, a, I'm a sinner, I'm a, a mess, and I believe you died for me. He will write a brand new story with your life. Uh, if you look around, there's nobody who's the hero here. Uh, we're all a mess, and Jesus is remaking us. My name's Dave. Uh, Jesus has set me free and is setting me free from alcoholism and addiction, and it's just my honor to come to you and say, uh, give your life to him. He will, he, he will never disappoint. So we've been walking through the book of Genesis. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 3. We've been looking at the gospel in Genesis, uh, and we're going to see the need for the gospel today. This passage is potentially the worst Father's Day message ever. <laughs> it's not worse than the Mother's Day message on circumcision, but it's close. Uh, <laughs> Like it's right there, like just a couple of points away. This one's holistically on death. Uh, I'm gonna read Genesis chapter 23 to you and you'll see it's all about the death of Sarah and the entire chapter's about death and it's going to make us look at the reality of death because until you look at the reality, totality and severity of death, you'll never appreciate the gospel. Until you know the bad news and have come to grips with the fact that you're going to die, and there's no way around that, until you come to grips with that, you're never going to love and grasp a hold of the gospel and say it's so good. So let me read it to you. I'm gonna read all 20 verses. It will take two minutes and 36 seconds. I know I only have your attention for 27 seconds. I know that. But I want you to see the full arch and scope of the text we're dealing with, so I'm gonna read it all. Do your best to stick with me. Genesis chapter 23, verse one. God says, Moses writes this, Now Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. 
Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is in Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham rose from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead. So Abraham rose, bowed to the people of the land, the sons of Heth, and he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and approach Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, which is at the end of his field for the full price, let him give it to me in your, in your presence as a burial site. Verse 10, now Ephron was sitting among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of, of the sons of Heth, even all who went in at the gate of the city, saying, no, my Lord, hear me, I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it, in the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you, bury your dead. And Abraham bowed before the, before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, if you will only please listen to me, I will give you the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Then Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, my Lord, listen to me. This is like, you guys ever watch uh, uh, American Pickers? When they're haggling, no, you're light on that price. No, listen to me, I want that. No, my Lord, listen to me, verse 15. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between me and you? So bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and, the, and, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, the commercial standard. So Ephron's field, which was in Machpelah, which faced Mamre, in the field and the cave which was in it and all the trees which were in the field that were within the confines of its border were, were legally deeded over to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah facing Mamre, that is in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham as a burial site by the sons of Heth. Two minutes, 36 seconds, spot on. Why is this in the Bible? Like if you were doing your quiet time and just reading through the Bible in the morning, you came to this one, you'd be like, I'm not sure if I had 1,196 pages to record all of history and tell humanity what the problem is, what the solution is, where they came from, why they're here, where they're going, and answer all the philosophical and eternal questions of life. I'm not sure I'd put this chapter in. What are we supposed to do with this? Let me show you the beauty of this and why even today, thousands of years later, you can go over and see the tomb of the patriarchs. It's still there because it was deeded over. If, here's your big theological picture as you walk through this text. If you read straight from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, took 42 and a half hours roughly just to read straight through, the truth about God that you'd come away with is this, that God is a living God. It's not just that he is alive, he is the source of all life. 
All life derives its life from God. It's in him we live and breathe and have our being. Uh, everything else derives life. God is the non-derivative of life. He is the source, sum, and substance of life. He is the living God. Now, the small theological picture that you see through the scriptures is this. Sin has separated us from the source. Sin is the problem. Death is the byproduct. Death is the symptom. Sin is the real problem. Sin separates us from the living God. Therefore, our battery life slowly runs out, doesn't it? I don't know how much time you have left, but your battery life is running out. And that's the bad news, right? That's why this is the worst Father's Day sermon ever. Happy Father's Day, you're gonna die. (laughs) That's rough. Here's the great news. This book tells what we Christians call the gospel. It's the good news that God so loved us that he in the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, the son of God, humbled himself, emptied himself, took on the form of a bondservant. He joined us, it was God in a bod. Jesus walked on this earth with us. He lived without sin so he could die on a cross and be made sin. Jesus, by grace, as a good gift, took my sin on his body on that cross. And once you take my sin away, guess what you've also taken care of? Death. Because sin is the problem, death is the symptom. What I'm gonna show you today in four simple steps, four easy steps, four very beautiful steps, until you have come face to face and dealt with the reality, totality, finality, and severity of death, you'll never enjoy and hold on to the gospel and say, this is great news. Death is horrific. It's awful. It's an unwanted, unwelcomed intruder into God's kingdom. Until you've come face to face with death, you'll never say, Lord Jesus, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that you were crucified, you were buried, you rose, you conquered death. You'll never appreciate the gospel until you see the pain and reality of death. And today I'll show you, I got 22 minutes left. I want you to know the entire substructure of the Bible. I can walk you through it. uh, 782,815 words. The entire substructure of the Bible is death. Do you know the Bible begins and ends with death? Genesis 2.17, God lovingly warns us, don't eat of that tree, yo. And the day you eat of it, you shall surely, see, you've read it. The enemy then deceives us. Is God withholding? Did he say don't eat of any tree? No, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat because you'll surely die. You know what the enemy said? You surely, Genesis 3, 4, you surely shall not. And most Americans believe that. That's why we spend our life numbed out on Netflix, distracted with commercialism, overwhelmed with entertainment and death catches us by surprise. Because most of us don't believe God's truth that you shall surely die. Now, that's the beginning of the Bible. You know where the Bible ends, Revelation chapter 21 and 22? Jesus shows up and makes a brand new proclamation and he, in Revelation 21, three and four says, there shall no longer be any Death for all eternity. The Bible begins with it, ends with it. God gets the first word on death. God gets the last word on death. And in the middle, he defeats death through his son, Jesus Christ. See, I don't know how people live in this world without the gospel. It's just overwhelming. And that's why I want to show you today, even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
God has given us good gifts to deal with death. I want to show you from Abraham's life how that plays out. Now, I've got a problem. I used a new chapstick this morning, and my lips are sticking together. I will no longer ever use sugar plum dream. This is the weirdest question ever. Does anybody have any chapstick on them? Uh, Burt's beeswax, Verms? Well, I was going to wipe it off before I used it anyways. It'd be like we were kissing. Carmex. This is why you never use brand new chapstick before you speak. Thanks, Firms. Watch this. Chapter 23, verses 1 and 2. And I'll give it back to you after next service. You don't want it? That hurts a little bit, bro. It really does, but that's whatever. I feel like I lost you on the chapstick thing, but I knew I wasn't going to make it another 27 minutes. Here are the four good gifts, and they're they're not going to register to you as good gifts, but I want to show you that they really are incredibly good gifts. As we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're going to die. And I live with the reality as your pastor that if I live long enough, I am going to bury most of you. And that is a really heavy weight. And so I want to communicate the gospel to you as best I can so you can live out the gospel and these good gifts of the gospel. Watch the first one. I'll read it in verses one and two. Now, Sarah lived 127 years. She's the only gal in scripture where her age is named. No other gal in scripture is. And I think there's reason for that, not even a joke. Watch this. Uh, These were the years of the life of Sarah. Look at verse two. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is in Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to, and this is the first time it shows up in the Bible, 22 chapters. This is the first time tears, or the word weeping, shows up in the Bible. Last week, it was the first time love showed up. Abraham loved Isaac. Now it's the first time weeping or tears shows up. You see, it's my guess that Abraham and Sarah had probably just celebrated their 110th wedding anniversary. Because in that culture, 17 would have been late to get married. Abraham had spent a hundred, Abraham and Sarah, 110 years together. Now, was their marriage a hot mess? Yeah. Yeah, have you been with me so long? Like, they're, they're, anyway, I, just a hot mess. And yet now it comes to parting and we see the first tears in scripture. Abraham goes in and weeps for her. What an incredible gift from an incredible God that he gives us tears, that he gives us mourning, that he gives us weeping. No amens. Because we're Americans and we are largely based on two philosophical systems, stoicism and hedonism. Stoicism says... Keep your tears to yourself. Control your emotions. Anybody heard this growing up? Why are you crying? I'll give you something to... You heard it too? How many of you have said it? Don't raise your hands. Isn't that... That's stoicism. Listen, control your emotions. Don't be a cry baby. Take it like a... Big boys don't. You've heard them all, haven't you? Stoicism, control that junk. You've got to stuff it, repress it, push it down, put your nose to the grindstone. Big boys don't cry. The other side is hedonism, 
which just says cover your emotions. Oh, you're crying, here's a lollipop. Oh, you're crying, let's go to the mall and buy something. Oh, you're crying, let's go do something fun. We either con- we're told to control our emotions or cover our emotions. Because on the stoic side, listen, your tears are just too vulnerable. On the hedonist side, your tears are killing, killing my vibe. This is the most amazing thing to me in the last 22 years of ministry. Do you know what I've noticed? And I face it every day, I'll face it today. People come to me and they just begin to weep. And then in a split second, do you know what they do? Apologize. I'm so sorry. I don't know what's happening. It's like my eyes spring a leak. <laughs> and, and we'll grab Kleenex and we quickly recompose. Why do we apologize? I think it's because we've been told your tears are bad. Stop crying. It's killing my vibe. You're making me feel bad and it's all about me because I love me some me and your, your crying doesn't help me out. Astounding. Because you know in Psalm 56, God, he keeps track of all of our sorrow and collects our tears in a bottle. Apparently they're precious to him because they help us align with reality as reality really is. Death is sad. Do you know tears are a actual, are a sign of life? Did you know that? You didn't know that. I've had four, Brooke and I, Brooke had four children. I was part of it though. And I was in the room for each childbirth. Do you know, one of our children's birth brought this to light more than any other. Because during the process of childbirth, the tension in the room raised. And the doctors were incredible. They didn't do it overtly, but I could tell by the tone of the voice we needed to get this child out quickly. The doc kept looking at the heart monitor, so I began to look at the heart monitor. I realized the heart rate was rising rapidly. In her voice, she said, I need you to push now. And one of our children came out a different color than any other child, deep, deep blue, purple-like, and I knew something was off. That child had the umbilical cord wrapped around their neck, and I don't know how long it was. It may be only 15, 20 seconds. But that doctor kept saying, come on, little one, cry, cry. And I began to say, cry, I mean, cry. If you talk to an OBGYN, those tears are an absolute needed sign of life. It means that that baby is alive. You come into this world weeping, asking for help, But somewhere along the line, you're told weeping is bad. Stop it. Hold it in. I want to tell you, Abraham wept because his life was in line with reality. Death is an unwanted, unwelcomed intruder. Some things are worth weeping over, friends. Guess who else wept? You've read it, John 11.35. That's our memory verse this week. That felt a little self-righteous. I'm just going to tell you, like, well, ours is longer than that. That was a short one. It's for my kids, y'all. Uh, where was I on that one before you mocked me in public? 
Yeah, Abraham wept. Jesus provided the example for us. Did Jesus have a good theology of eternity, life, death? Yeah, he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he wept. Do you know you and I are commanded to weep? Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You see, in this world, weeping is a great gift. Read through it. It's March 1st, 2021, Harvard Health Review. Um, Is crying good for you? Crying is actually an incredible gift. It removes stress hormones. It replaces them uh, with endogenous opioids, endorphins, oxytocin. God gave you a good gift. Don't let this world crush it and say, stop crying because it makes me uncomfortable. Your, your tears are not weakness. They are a form of worship when you cry out to God, just like an infant being born. Help. Your tears are a great, great gift from God. Abraham wept. I'll tell you, many of us are not healthy. We're unwilling to weep because we think it's a form of weakness. And this is why America struggles with loneliness because we're unwilling to be honest and vulnerable and real with one another. This world is hard. This life is harsh. And then you die. Some things are worth weeping over. That's their first gift. I took way too long, so I'm gonna hurry on the next ones. I apologize, but happy Father's Day. Watch verses three and four. Not only is the, gift, oh, the first gift tears, Abraham wept, the next, the next gift is just God has given us truth about the reality of our time here on earth. Watch what Abraham says. It's repeated by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Abraham then arose before his dead, and he spoke to the sons of Heth, saying this, verse 4, I am a stranger and a sojourner or alien in the Greek, the Septuagint, among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead. Abraham He has been in this land for decades now, but he views himself as an alien and a stranger. He says, I'm not home. This isn't my home. I'm an alien and a stranger. Do you know that that is what God calls you? He literally calls you an E.T. Anybody see the movie, 1982? Really, only like six of you. It was a huge hit. No, have you seen it? Yes. Yeah, okay, okay, there you are. I lost you somewhere on that one. It's good to have you back. I'm Dave, Hillside Fellowship. So glad you're here. So there's this alien, and he comes, and Elliot feeds him some uh, Reese's peanut butter cut, and, and E.T. goes, and he eats them, but it doesn't matter how many Reese's pieces that cat eats. Do you know what he always wants to do? Good, you did watch it. Because he doesn't fit in. It's like Rudolph in the Misfit Island. Right? Some toys don't fit in. Do you know you don't fit in here? This isn't your home. The Bible actually says you're homesick. Anybody ever experienced homesickness? Isn't that horrible? I had it so bad growing up, I couldn't spend the night anywhere. My parents were like, go, 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 go. Stay the night. It's a birthday party. I would plan my medical condition so I... Anybody else? No, the true story. True story. I had to read up on appendicitis. I'm like, all right. I get sent there and I'm like, different people's houses smell different. Do you guys know that? They sound different. The sounds are different. Food tastes different. I was homesick, clinically. I had this separation anxiety. My parents would drop me off and I'd already be planning my appendicitis. And I'd be like, oh, but I forgot which side. Oh, 
And they were like, well, it keeps switching. I was like, yeah, but it's gotta be appendicitis. It just hurts. So they would send me home. Literally, I was old until I could leave home. Do you know the Bible says you're homesick and it doesn't matter how many Reese's pieces you get on this earth, it's not gonna fill that void. It's not. Do you know there's nothing on this earth that can fill that void? Do you know, my wife is here. I've got the most amazing wife in the world, walked with me through rehab, stood with me. She's the most amazing woman I've ever met. Do you know the most amazing spouse in the world can't fill that void? So why do we keep demanding that our spouse fill that void and make us stop feeling homesick? Do you know my kids, all four of my kids are here. I've got the most amazing kids that have ever walked the face of the earth. They're incredible. Brooke and I watch and we're just like, wow, we can't believe we get to be your parents. Do you know the most amazing kids in the world can't fill that void? They can't. Do you know I work with an elder team? I have never, ever, ever worked with a team that loved each other and loved me so deeply. I worked with the most amazing elders on the face of the earth. Do you know the perfect elder team can't fill that void? Do you know I work with the most amazing staff team that's ever been? Your staff here, astounding. Do you know a perfect staff team cannot fill that void? Do you know I've got, I have got the most amazing church family that anyone on earth has ever had? Yeah, you guys, woo, for you, absolutely. You guys are astounding. You give me much reason just to say, Lord Jesus, thank you for the work that you're doing. Do you know the most amazing church cannot fill that void? Do you know Christianity is chosen emptiness? You live in a world, in physics they call it horror vacui, nature abhors a vacuum, a world that will try and fill that void with something or convince you that something will fill that void. Nothing can fill that void. You see, you have eternity in your heart. And right now you're homesick, you're separated from the one who loves you. That's why Paul writes in Philippians chapter three, verse 20, your citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven. And when you recognize that emptiness and stop demanding that your spouse, your family, your society, your church, fill it, you begin to realize you're actually eager for Jesus Christ to come back. It's probably why many Christians don't pray, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because we keep trying to fill that void with things in the world, with Reese's Pieces. And it doesn't matter how many Reese's Pieces, you still want to go home to be with Jesus. He's coming back. But first, he's given us tears to align with reality in this world. He's given us truth. You're an alien and a stranger here. You don't fit in. But you've got an important mission while you're here. Watch verses five and six incredible mission. You're not here without purpose. You've got deep purpose. Watch this. Verse five, the sons of Heth answered Abraham saying to him, watch this, hear us, my Lord. This is an astounding statement. I had to spend hours just reading through this one because it blew my mind and I didn't understand what I was seeing. Hear us, my Lord, respected one, revered one. You are a mighty prince If I translated it directly from the Hebrew, I would say you're a prince of God. Everywhere you walk, God goes with you. We see God in you and living through. You're a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for burying 
you're dead. Do you know why this astounds me? Has anybody ever done a deep dive into the, into the Hittites? You're bored on a weekend, you're like, I'm gonna study the Hittites. That's what I wanna do, I just wanna learn more about the Hittites. If you did, you would see they show up about 50 times in the Bible and not one of those references is good. Not one. They were a godless people who did not worship the one true God. In fact, most of the times they show up, they're an incredible enemy of God's people. They're trying to stop God's people. And yet, right here, somehow, and this astounds me, somehow Abraham lived his life in such a way that this godless people who were watching him when Abraham came and said, I need a place to bury my dead. They said, take whatever you want. You're a prince of God. We've watched your life and it's astounding. And these are pagans. What did Abraham do to win the respect of outsiders? Because it doesn't show up in the text. You're not gonna see, well, here was the evangelistic method that Abraham used to win the lost. It's not in there. In fact, he spends decades in the land, and I think I know what he was doing. He was loving his wife, loving his kids, and just letting his light shine. See, in America, we don't like that. We're like, no, 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 no. I want to take a class so that I can argue and I can intellectually dismantle anybody. I'll get you to cry uncle, and then you'll believe in Jesus. I'll conquer and then you'll come to Christ. It's like, how many of you came to Christ that way? Where you were just devastated and decimated by somebody intellectually and you're like, I give. You see, it's astounding. Um, It's just called marketing. To display, you ever seen a display case? What's a display case? You put something in a prominent place to show a product. You don't even have to say much, you just put it. If there's a Chester cheetah on the display aisle of Target, guess who's getting Cheetos? Because all it, I see it and I'm like, wow, look at that cheetah, he's having fun. <laughs> I want some Cheetos. Do you know your life, I'm, I'm convinced what Abraham did here was he spent decades displaying delight in God. You say, that's not very powerful. That doesn't seem very powerful. Do you know displays work? I wish I could, the thing, we're driving through, was it New Mexico? New Mexico, yes. Driving long way through New Mexico. All of a sudden, there's all these displays. Anybody seen the, the, the billboard? First one just said, the thing. I said, what's the thing? I started talking to Brooke. What's the thing? I don't know. We missed the billboard. One mile later, it's the thing. It's the thing, but what is the thing? Next billboard. The thing, 187 miles. Okay. The thing's coming in. There was billboard after billboard after billboard. Guess who stopped to see the thing and dropped mad cash for the whole family to see the thing. Spoiler alert, if you're in New Mexico, don't go see the thing. (laughs) It's not really a thing. Like it's, it's not. But guess what got me and my hundred bucks? The display, come see. 
Do you know Abraham was just a display? Come see. Do you know the power of a life of peace lived in a world of panic? Do you know the power of that display? When everything's falling apart and they're trying to inundate your family with chaos and you're just at peace because your God reigns. Do you know the power of display? What it means to love in a world that loathes. It's a powerful display. Does it happen overnight? No, often it takes a lot of Christian billboards in your life as a billboard to be before people say, come meet a God of love and I'll show it to you through my life. Come meet a God of joy in a world that's jaded. Come meet a God of peace and patience and kindness. You you see, this is what Abraham did. He He simply let his light so shine among men that they might see his good deeds. And then when it came time, yeah, He had an argument for his faith, but the people were already thirsty for it. You're a prince of God. We see it in you. Now, watch what happens next. Eight seconds left. Totally going to nail this one. Watch this. Well, this is the long one. Verses, it's chapter 23, verse 7 through 20. So to be fair to the people on Father's Day, let's go verse 19 and 20. Because you already read the negotiation, right? I'll give it to you. No, I'll buy it. No, I'll give it to you. No, I'll buy it. No, seriously, I'll give it to you. No, seriously, I'll buy it. 19, after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah. Very interesting. You can still go there today in Machpelah, Hebron, and see uh, the burial site of the patriarchs thousands of years later. Do you know why? Because Abraham was so wise, he said, no, 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 I'm going to buy it. Uh, in the land of Canaan, verse 20. So the field of the cave that is in it were, you see this word here? Verse 20, deeded over, it's a legal term. Abraham in front of everyone said, no, 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 I'm going to pay for it. Even though God's gonna give me all of this land, I'm gonna buy this, you're gonna deed it over. So generations down the road, you can't say it's yours. It's, It's mine. Now, the question is, what is the good gift that God gives us here? I would put it, not only does he give us tears, truth, and a testimony, he gives us the grace of tenacity to hold on. You see, what Abraham did here was a profound step of faith. It was bold faith. It was beautiful faith. Back in chapter 12, he said, God made me a promise that he was gonna make me into, me and Sarah into a great nation, and he said he was gonna give me all of this land Now, decades and decades later, the land's still not mine. I don't have anything in it. I'm about to die. But I believe that God's going to keep his word. Now, let me show you where you're going to struggle with this in this life. In this life, secular humanist, uh, moral relativism, postmodernism, the message you hear almost every day, the message you receive is this. God isn't showing up. Give up. Why do you keep going to church? Why do you keep reading your Bible? Why do you keep memorizing your Bible? Why do you keep acting like there's these moral standards you have to live up to? When will you just give up and admit along with us, God's dead? Have you not seen it? Numerous of you sent me the, the latest Barna report. 
since 1944, since they've been measuring belief in God in America, we have now reached the lowest point of all time. Did you read it? It's on bright, I mean, it's all over the place. It's almost celebratory. Like, yeah, we're winning. God's dead. Christians are lame. When will you give up? See, that's what the world, that's the message you get. It's why I love this. It's a good gift in a world steeped in pain, suffering, and death. Abraham says, I'm not giving up. I'm going to buy this land, and I want a front row seat to when God shows up because I know he's going to show up. It's just a matter of time. The world says, you're lame. You're ridiculous. Why do you keep believing what you're believing? Ever since our fathers fell asleep, everything continues just as it was since the beginning of time. Where is the promise of his second coming? Abraham says, no, no, I'm going to wait and believe in God. You see, this is actually what they taught us in physics. Anybody ever take physics class? Four of us. This is why America's doing awesome. In physics class, it was astounding. This is, a, this is a rat trap. It's the real deal. It will break a finger. Are you not astounded? Are you not amazed? This is called potential energy. None of us are very astounded by it. In fact, if you had never seen a rat trap before and you looked at this, you would say, that's, that's nothing. It's not doing anything, Dave. What does it do? I would say, no, 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 no. It, it's potential energy, or we would call it stored energy. It just hasn't been released. It hasn't turned into kinetic energy. And you could tell me, that's ridiculous. That's lame. There's nothing there. This is stupid. Why do you believe that there's an energy and a power there, Dave? It's not doing anything. Look, that's dumb. You see, this is the beauty of our God. He has a potential energy. And he says, I want you to trust me. I want you to believe in me. And the world says, where is the potential energy? I don't see it. Because potential energy seems very weak. It's actually the definition of meek. It's power under control, but it seems weak. It seems feckless. It seems ridiculous. And it seems ridiculous until it becomes kinetic energy and it busts stuff yo that could have been a finger seriously uh, this was a real pen this was not set up you see here's the truth of the God that you serve he is incredibly loving incredibly tender incredibly meek power under control and he says, I just want you to have a good front row seat. That's what Abraham's doing. I'm buying this land so I get a front row seat for when the Messiah, Jesus Christ, comes back. And I tell you this, one day, Jesus Christ is going to descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel. The dead in Christ will rise first, and the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of its Christ. And it says that when Jesus shows up, Revelation 21, 3, 4, 5, he is going to wipe every tear from every eye. And then he's going to say, there will no longer be any death or mourning or crying or pain. I'm finally taking you home, and you'll be homesick no more. Therefore, Hillside Fellowship, you be steadfast and immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Your tears matter to Jesus Christ. The truth that you're here with a purpose. This isn't your home and nothing can fill you. There's a chosen emptiness about Christianity that says even so, come Lord Jesus, because I know you fill all in all. He's the only one that can fill us up. Until then, we share our testimony by being a people of love in a world that loathes. Until that time that Jesus Christ comes back, he'll say, be steadfast, immovable. It may look weak right now, but that's because it's potential energy. It will become kinetic energy soon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the time this morning. Your word is so good. I look forward to seeing it up front when I see you, Jesus, face to face. Until then, would you give us the grace of healing that we might be able to weep over things that make you weep. Father, that we might let the truth of your gospel shine through us that a lost and dying world might see that display, that testimony of the gospel and put their faith in you. Until then, would you give us the grace, the faithfulness to remain a a tenacious people looking forward to and expecting and celebrating the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, our prayer is even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But until then, would you allow us to draw and be an aroma of your grace so that more people come into your kingdom and put their faith in your son for your glory. It's in his name I pray, amen.